Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, the 2024 race is in full swing and we wanted to zoom out a little bit. So we've invited a special guest to talk to us, our friend, Celinda Lake. I've been a fan for decades. We've worked a lot on some very tough races together. Celinda is one of the best pollsters in the party and is a real, uh, someone who's really thinking a lot about pro-democracy and, and how to protect our democracy has been doing a ton of work looking at the trends going into next year. She recently gave an interview to Gabriel De Benedetti at New York Magazine, and it got Alex and I talking. We knew we wanted to talk to Celinda about that. Celinda, welcome. Thanks, Joan. It's great to be with you again. It's been too long. It sure has. Alex, where should we start? Oh, man. Celinda, thanks for coming. We've been really looking forward to this. Um, you put out an interview in NY Mag, as Joe talked about at the top, that started a long email chain. This is this one's been a long time coming, so we're really looking forward to it. Basically, you've been knee deep in the data this year. You've been looking at a, a lot going into 2024, and we just wanted to zoom out a little bit and ask, you know, what are you seeing this year? What are you seeing as key trends? And we have a bunch of other ones, but let's start there. Well, there are a number of key trends, and some of them work in our favor, and some of them do not. The trends that are working in our favor are first and foremost the abortion issue. And uh, people keep saying, well, the abortion issue is going to wear out. The abortion issue is going to get, people are going to get tired of it. But since people are not tired of having sex, they're not tired of the abortion issue. Uh, so it remains very, very powerful. And it's mobilizing to younger voters, particularly younger women. It's um, persuasive to suburban women and changing the dynamics in suburbia. There are going to be initiatives on probably 10 states, so very, very important dynamic at a tremendous cost, but a very important dynamic. And then we see these legislatures going after birth control, which is completely insane, and um, increasing the intensity of this issue. A second trend we see is the economy, and uh, I think those are going to be, as they were in 2022, those are going to be the two pillars of the election. And um, people are still pretty discouraged about the economy. They still think that, you know, it's very unstable. They still think rising cost of living is too high. They think wages are not keeping up. They think, sure, there are lots of jobs out there, but how many do you have to have to make it? And uh, they still are really undervaluing all of the changes and things that the administration has delivered. And we still got a third of the voters who know absolutely nothing and two thirds who know very little about what the administration has delivered. So we've got to keep relentlessly trying to secure this economy for the public, trying to get the direction in a more stable and better shape, communicating that we understand about the rising cost of living and uh, really continuing to live it, deliver at people's kitchen tables. And then the third trend is this cultural war that the Republicans have launched. And um, you see Ron DeSantis being even crazier than Donald Trump, which is quite a statement. And uh, I think that what's really interesting here is that these candidates' primary strategy is making them completely unelectable in the general. But they believe that this parents' rights agenda is going to be a winning agenda for them. They're causing a lot of harm, but in fact, they're not persuading nearly as many voters as they would like to claim. So, Selena, that that brings up an interesting point. I mean, have you, you know, is there anything at all that could you know, impact the GOP field? I mean, in terms of that you're seeing, I mean, you know, with 
Trump's still dominating. Obviously, DeSantis is, you know, the second place and 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 battling with him. But it, you know, now with Christie, Pence, uh, Bergam, others, you know, uh, Scott getting in, is anything really changing, or do you see any any way any of this impacting or even the in, in potential indictment? So, Linda, before you answer, podcasting is a very visual medium, as everyone knows, and you were shaking your head very hard <laughs> as Joe was answering that question, just for our listeners to know. But go for it. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Exactly right. The pantomime is more powerful than the words. I just, you know, I'm just shaking my head at the Republican primary. All I am is grateful that it is legal for people to run for, for president from jail. Thank God. <laughs> so we can have Donald <laughs> Trump, whether he's indicted or not. Um, and that may be our saving grace. Republican primaries are very different. And there are only 13% of Republicans who show up in primaries anymore. And um, Donald Trump has an iron hold on his followers uh, who live in a completely alternative uh, uh, news environment, a completely alternative reality. And um, nothing seems to shake it. Uh, and I don't, and I think everybody's floundering in their own way. I mean, you have a vice president trying to be Ronald Reagan and launching a very powerful video. You have Nikki Haley uh, trying to be modern and diverse in the wave of the future and Tim Scott. You have Asa Hutchinson appearing on The View. Now, I love The View, but I wouldn't think you would target Republican primary voters on The View. Uh, so I think they're totally at sea about how to have any kind of um, alternative emerge out of this primary process. And uh, all we should do is stand back and, you know, as you taught me, Joe, a long time ago, when your opponent's digging themselves in the hole, stay out of the way. Yeah, let them do it to themselves. I, You know, the, the, the question I've got, though, is, you know, it's not just that I don't, you know, don't see how any of them get past uh, uh, Trump and, you know, and, and where the party is. But also, you know, it's not like they've, they've, you know how difficult it is to run for president of the United States. This is not, you, you know, a lot of people get in thinking it looks, it looks a lot easier than it is, it turns out. And I think, uh, I think, you know, maybe DeSantis is figuring that out. And I think the rest of the field uh, will too. But do, you, are there any, you know, dark horses or something that you could see that actually might move move numbers or you, you just think it's, I think it's going to be Donald Trump. I don't see how anybody gets by him. I think it's going to be Donald Trump too. And the other okay. dirty secret, Joe, is that you identified, and we've seen it with our own candidates. We've seen it with the Republican candidates. They run out of money early on in the process. Yeah. Donald Trump will not run out of money. He will have his small donor base. He will have his donor base. And a very, very often the the what you call the dark horse candidates have um, been the ones that have um, uh, been run out of money because they've been supported by the high donors who then peel away, like the the ex governor of Wisconsin, for example, uh, in 2016. So I don't see it because of his hold on the base and his hold on the small donors. And, you know, when people constantly say to me, why did Marjorie Taylor Greene do that thing in the Congress against the president? Marjorie Taylor Greene, as you know, and Joe, you taught us this, made $1.7 million that night. She made $3 million total on that yeah. comment. Now, maybe she did it out of conviction, but there's a lot of monetary incentive for doing that kind of crazy stuff. 
Yeah, thanks. So it, thanks, Linda, for pointing out that all those emails people get. That well, I had something Joe, to do Joe, with let that. me save you here because Celinda <laughs> said something I was really excited about. So, Celinda, you said Trump has an iron hold on this thing. Joe thinks so too. We have had quite a few people, pros on this show, say exactly that. Almost everybody we've talked to, everyone actually we've talked to, is pretty much in alignment. So, why is it? that there's still a headline on CNN, probably as we speak, and the mainstream media is just desperately, I mean, even by the way, in some of the things where they're quoting you, by the way, saying, I don't see how it's possible, but somehow farther up, the headline is still DeSantis challenging Trump or open new entry into the, like, the media is missing something here that basically everyone who's been through a campaign or understands a presidential campaign, like, is just screaming, saying, no, 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 this is insane. I think the media wants a fight, number one. Number two, uh, although Donald Trump fighting everybody else is still, <laughs> generates a lot of news, so I don't know why they feel that they need more conflict. I think they also personally have a hard time believing in it. And I think they relate, I mean, the media know Republicans, but they tend to know Republicans in their circle who are ma- more mainstream Republicans. And I think the business interests and the people that pull the party back from the default on the economy just have a hard time realizing that they can't get their party back. And I think that's part of what's going on, that their peer circles uh, are, you know, surrounded by people who are saying, please not Trump, please not Trump. But that's not what you're hearing out in uh, the Atumwas and the Flint Michigans, et cetera, and the Hillsdales. Uh, I also think what's really interesting is I think that people are just nonplussed by primaries on both sides because the turnout in primaries has gotten so low that you're you're constantly, reporters tend to be more in contact with general election voters. It's not a very good prism for understanding primary electorates on either side. Uh, So people massively underestimated the difference that South Carolina would make for Biden. They massively underestimated the calculation of who could beat Trump would make for, for Democrats. They still say, aren't the Democrats divided? Aren't the Democrats divided? Not so you'd notice. No, there's nothing as unifying for Democrats as Donald Trump. So I think the press has very little understanding of either primary electorate. You know, Selinda, has the, has, do you think the you know, conventional uh, wisdom uh, that you know, we all used to buy into on swing voters and who they were you know, or are has shifted to? I mean, it, you know, it, it's not really necessarily swing voters i i don't think between two parties now is which is how the press you know thinks about it but i do think you know trump has pushed a lot of republicans to become independent you know they, they there are a lot of republicans who have trouble with 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 what's going on and, and particularly i think the authoritarian piece of what trump and desantis are about so is that me i mean do you see more swing voters or whatever we want to call them now being, you know, having to choose between, you, you know, basically making a choice, not about party, but pro-democracy or, 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 or more, either the way Biden put it, more freedom versus less freedom. Is that, do you think that argument holds sway? I think that argument holds a lot of sway. And, you know, we have been saying for a long time, uh, and you, Joe, were one of the ones on this originally, and I've been saying the number one value out there is freedom. The number one word that the right used to use more than the progressives was freedom. We have taken freedom back, but now we're truly the party of freedom um, and mind your own business and privacy. 
And um, that's just been a sea change. And I think a lot of Republicans who are now independents are really struggling with that. And then the war on women. Um, I think a lot of suburban women who are Republican in their instincts, the soccer moms are just reeling and they cannot imagine voting for Donald Trump. And they cannot imagine having someone on TV every night and they're guaranteed he will be who they can't turn to their children and say, this is the president of the United States. This is a role model for you. It's like change a channel. That's the president of the United States. So we don't want you to be like him. Uh, a lot of suburban moms are like, this is not this is a no go for me. It feels good to gift. So give your dad the one for all gift card this Father's Day and let him choose the gift he wants. With 100 plus brands to choose from and zero fees, there's no need to play the guessing game to show your appreciation. You know he'll get the gift he wants and making his day will make your day. Gifting feels good with the one for all gift card. Available in store and at giftcards.com. See giftcards.com for terms and conditions. So you mentioned that the, the freedom thing, and this is kind of what got us talking and led to us wanting to talk to you so much. Your point to, to New York Magazine was, was that actually a lot of what we consider swing voters, this freedom message, you mentioned soccer moms, is like mm. dynamite, right? You got swing voters. I mean, even by the way, some of the African-Americans that were always saying we can't take for granted, we have to turn them out. And then even like blue collar white voters, there's a way for all of them to kind of interact with that freedom message. And the libertarian males. And freedom is a lot broader umbrella than people think. And I think Anat Shankar Osario has done the best work on this. But the freedom uh, in terms of social issues is very clear. Frankly, the freedom to thrive is a very strong message too. The freedom to keep your wages when the Supreme Court is taking away your right to strike and taking away your right to organize, uh, the freedom not to have price gouging uh, when uh, prescription drug companies are allowed to set the price at anything they want to, unrelated to cost. Um, so freedom is a really strong and broad umbrella, and uh, it unites these suburban moms with these libertarian guys that I grew up with in Montana uh, who, you know, I, I tell people my family was always very pro, my family was Republican, very pro-choice though, and very pro-freedom. And it was like, in Montana, it was like, none of your damn business about <laughs> out. Uh, that was our mantra as Republicans in Montana. So the, the word I want to get to, though, a little bit is the, is this whole strange thing where we're getting great jobs reports inflation's coming down, wages are growing, uh, now I think matching or actually getting ahead of inflation, but in all the polling, uh, we're on the wrong track and everybody's worried about the economy. I mean, is, I mean, do you think as the economy, get, as we get deeper into this year and we're not in a recession, let's just sort of push forward a little bit and, the, you know, and the trends keep going that, that people will will start to to rate Biden, you know, higher on the economy and and his approval, or is this really kind of just partisan? No, I'm MAGA and nothing, you know. And is it sort of built in that way that this is if there's no way to change the numbers? No, even though reality is that the economy is the strongest in the world and 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 getting increasingly signs that it's it's not in real trouble. So I think three things are going on. I think first of all. 
if we had this conversation a month ago when we first started talking, I would have been a lot more pessimistic than I am now. You had um, 70% of Americans saying we were going into a recession, 60% saying we were already there. There has been a little pulling back. People are like taking a little bit of a deep breath and saying, okay, maybe things are getting a little bit better. The prices of eggs are still too high, but in general, prices are coming down a little bit. Uh, the job thing is still holding up. Uh, our wages are starting to catch up with the rising cost of living. Th people are starting to th see it in their kitchen tables. They will never give us credit for the macroeconomic statistics. If we never issued another statement from an economist, I would be perfectly happy. Uh, we need It's microeconomics, not macroeconomics, that are going to influence people. But I do think it's getting a little bit better. I think for women, we need the Women's Security Project. What is driving women crazy is the ups and downs. And as even a young woman, uh, millennial, said in one of our focus groups, why is everything in this country now a dumpster fire? People think the impossible is going to happen tomorrow. You're going to wake up and there's going to be some startling headline, something that was you never conceived possible. Evaldi shooting, floods in New York subways, tornadoes in places that never had them, uh, earthquakes in Washington, D.C. So uh, people just think the impossible keeps happening time and time again. And it's the uncertainty, it's the lack of control, it's the instability that is really nerve-wracking to women. Now, Joe Biden is actually perfectly and constitutionally designed to make you feel reassured. That is his persona. And so I think in the end, we need the Women's Security Project that will help women feel that way. And then the last thing I think is it's not so important what the absolute level of the economy is. It's important what the direction, perceived direction of the economy is next May. All of the data from the University of Michigan shows that what predicts to the vote is the direction of the economy in May and June before the election. And that's what we've got to keep working toward. And I think this administration's working very hard on that. Uh, but we cannot do victory laps. We have to say we've gotten this done. It's not good enough. We're doing this tomorrow. And shoot, that was true for Bill Clinton. I mean, in 1993, I did the focus groups in L.A. Mm -hmm. where I was testing. We created 693,000 jobs. And one woman in L.A. said, yeah, and I've got three of them. Well, the great thing about Bill Clinton is you took that to him. And, and in 24 hours, he changed his message from uh, we've created 693,000 jobs, but that's not good enough until you can have one job you can raise your family on. He understood uh, how to translate that macroeconomics into microeconomics. Which gets, I think, to something Biden keeps saying, you know, don't, when we look at his approval numbers, don't, don't judge me by the almighty, but ju judge me by the alternative. I know you've laid down an, you know, important marker, uh, and I agree with it, that says, you know, Biden doesn't need 50% job approval to win a a second term. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about that uh, and where you think that's going in this polarized era? Yeah, I mean, I think um, he just needs to be more favorable than his opponent. Um, and that's ultimately going to be the, the most predictive of what happens. I think that there are two concerns I have. One concern I have is all the third party efforts, because that can change the calculus. That can be the spoiler. Mm -hmm. The other concern I have is it's hard to believe it, but the Republicans and Donald Trump specifically have a built-in advantage on the economy 
because people think that business people are better on the economy than non-business people. So they've always given the Republicans some credit. Now, what we have to say is better on the economy for whom? Yeah, they'll guarantee the CEO has the highest bonus and doesn't, by the way, have to pay as much taxes as a secretary on that bonus. Uh, but we're the ones who will guarantee that it shows up at your kitchen table. So the contrast is really important here. And that's where Joe Biden is absolutely right. You know, in fact, we did a very interesting study recently where we tried to have the people got accomplishments. And we asked people afterwards, how, what do you remember? And half the people got it in a contrast. Like, we did this, but the Republicans had opposed it. People recalled a lot more the accomplishments in the context of a contract than they did when you were just claiming accomplishments. So we got to frame up the choice. Joe Biden's been really good at that. He did it in 2022 very ably. He knows how to do that. That team knows how to do that. And that's going to be our secret sauce, I think, in the end. Yeah, I mean, that was our mantra all through 2022 on this show. It's contrast, not a referendum. It wasn't a referendum. Had it been a referendum on Biden, it would have yeah. been the big red wave. It was the contrast between the two parties and the, and, and the policies that they were projecting. And I think Trump, the Trump-Biden contrast, it, it, or the DeSantis-Biden contrast, in, in the end, um, is that is that exact contrast? You know, again, getting back to what you were saying about freedom framing and and some of the the, the other things, is that again sort of with different groups? Uh, you know, African Americans associating freedom with civil rights, et cetera. You know, can we get there uh, with blue collar and 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 others uh, with that frame? You talked about it a little earlier uh, in the podcast, but what groups do you think that we need to really make that argument with? Well, I think it's an overall thematic for everyone. And okay. um, I think even on some of our toughest issues, like the transgender issue, it's so outrageous and so harmful what the right is doing. It's so disturbing. But that said, when we, we can really get on strong terrain when we talk about the right wants to take kids away from their parents, the right wants to accuse you of child abuse if you choose to get gender-affirming care for your child. Um, that's your freedom. That's right. real parental. Yeah, the freedom to love who you want to love. Freedom to love uh, who you want to who, love. Exactly love, right. Yeah. So I think this is a very th strong thematic for every demographic group across everything. And if anything, I think we don't use it. We tend to use it pretty strongly in the social arena. We don't use it enough economically. Like one of the way that Trumpists are trying to target African-American and Latino men in particular is with entrepreneurship. Well, who supports the freedom for you to start your own business? Who wants to send the money to corporations versus who bailed out small businesses during the pandemic? We did. So I think this freedom to thrive, freedom for entrepreneurship is a very, very strong potential thematic for us. So, Celinda, I, I did want to ask, you know, talking about how we could potentially take that thematic. One Another thing that, that you and I think Mike Lux put out a couple of months ago was essentially, and this is, I think, a great place to end with a little bit more positivity, even though you guys are pretty, pretty bullish so far. You point out how Democrats could win all three next year. And it's not really that far. In fact, I, you know, I, I'm probably on the more optimistic side, but it, it's really doable. So what do we have to do and why do you think that? Well, first of all, we have 17, 18 seats that Joe Biden won 
that Republicans control right now in the Congress. Uh, of course, we don't even need one third of that. So uh, to win the margin, we have those four New York seats where they're trying to run as moderates, but vote as conservatives. Uh, so we have a lot of opportunities. We just got a great decision in, out of the Supreme Court today, which I have to say bowled me over. In fact, I thought I had misread the headline. I thought I got to get more yeah. sleep. Yeah, Doug Jones. Doug Jones called me this afternoon. He was Scott. He was just <laughs> yes. You know, this is a big, big, big decision. decision. So I know in Alabama they're thrilled, and the rest of us should be too. And Doug Jones is one of all of our heroes. Uh, what a courageous man. Yeah. What a great man. So I think, you know, we're going to take back the House unless we really blow it. Our senators are ahead in all of the races. We have people that have, uh, you know, people go, well, the Biden tides, the Biden tides. These people won under Biden tides. They won under Republican tides. Uh, they know how to establish themselves as Ohio Democrat and Montana Democrat. So I think we have very strong Senate races. And then in the end, I think in a Biden versus Trump world, if we get out our vote, and if we persuade uh, the suburban voters, uh, and and including the blue-collar suburban women, uh, we will win the presidential. Now, will these be hard fought? Will they be tough? Will they be nasty? Will they be nail biters? Absolutely. But the numbers are there today for a trifecta. I also add to that that the one thing I saw in 2022, and I expect to see it again in 2024, is that they will help us by nominating the ultra MAGA nominees to be their standard bearers in a lot of these races. I mean, what I'm saying is there will be more extreme candidates. There, I think there will there, there will be more of them than there were in 2022 because that's who's now got real control of the nominating process. And Trump is going to get into it by supporting a lot of these candidates in these primaries, and so you're going to get these. You, you know the the these weird matches where yeah the, it make it will make the contrast even stronger I think well and you know what was great about 2022 and you and many of the media consultants are really helpful on this and we have to do it vigilantly this year when these guys are engaged in their primaries and gals uh, we need to get them on tape I mean we won the um, Michigan Attorney General race with a great feminist leader Dana Nessel who's a wonderful AG, but our opponents stood up there on camera and said, I know of no health diagnosis that requires an abortion. Well, thank you. When you get your MD degree and when you become somebody's doctor, then we'll be interested in your opinion. But right now, uh, that's not what medical practice says. And he said, no health exceptions. And that was, I mean, we had to pound that, pound that into voters, but yeah. that was it. And you didn't have to believe Dana Nessel saying it. You could see it for yourself. And he repeated it twice in a statement. Yes, I mean no health exceptions. So thank you for making clear your position. Yeah, I think they're going to help us that way again. Uh, I, I I think it's going to be that contrast between the kind of candidates they put out there. And I agree with you. We've got a lot of really strong candidates who know how to win in this environment. That's going to help a lot. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for all you do and all you've taught us every day. Now, thanks, Linda, for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. Follow Selinda on Twitter at Selinda Lake, and we'll include a link to her piece in the show notes. A reminder that this podcast will always be free and is part of ResoluteSquare.com. Check out the latest at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy 
Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. Thanks again, Celinda, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>